welcome to this episode of Waynesboro at Work, a podcast where we interview entrepreneurs and business leaders from Waynesboro, Virginia, to learn more about their businesses, the origin stories of how their passion arose for the work that they do, and a whole lot more. So today I'm really excited to be joined by Corey Blanc, who is the founder of Blanc Creatives. Welcome to the show, Corey. Hey, thanks for having me on. Yes. So for everybody that may not know exactly what Blanc Creatives is, tell me a bit about what you're doing there. Yeah. So essentially we're a handcrafted culinary tools company. Um, our main, so we, our main bread and butter product essentially is cookware. So it's all carbon steel cookware. We also have a full uh, wood department where we have utensils and cutting boards. We have a whole uh, cutlery department. So kind of a one-stop shop for handcrafted kitchen tools. Awesome. So the handcrafted kitchen tools, do you have to be, uh, you know, a big foodie to use these or are these things that any, you know, home cook could use in their kitchen? No, anyone can use them. Okay. You know? So if you, if you know how to cook, if you know the basics of how to cook, okay. then <laughs> totally. Awesome. So how did you get um, into creating these? Yeah, so my background is in architectural ironwork and that kind of a long story, but I wound up in Virginia in 2007. And before that, I worked for my uncle down in Georgia where I grew up and that was all architectural handrails. So basically Mm. as people stamped out, homes we would go in and stamp out builder grade railings did that for four years really served as a foundation for metalwork moved here 2007 got a job at a blacksmith studio just outside of charlottesville and that's when i started forging basically and from there i was still doing architectural work and i ventured out on my own around 2008 to start my own architectural ironwork business um, the bottom fell out. No one was spending any money in that world anymore. Yes. So I ended up working in restaurants, okay. worked in restaurants for a number of years. I um, really made friends with a lot of chefs and restaurateurs around Charlottesville and eventually just melded those two worlds together. Mm. You know, so during the architectural phase, I was all doing commission work. So okay. draw up a design, meet with the client kind of go through this whole phase and some of those commissions could take months, some weeks, some months, but then when it's over, you're waiting on the next commission to come in. Right. You know, so if it's not lined up or even if it is lined up, just scheduling and keeping busy. Um, so I started making products that I could just sell at the city market. And those just happened to be grill tools, bottle openers, kitchen tools. I like to cook and I know how to work metal. So I just kind of worked (laughs) them in and, uh, I made a frying pan one time just to see, you know, if I could had it at the city market to, uh, check the interest. Right. Mm, Yeah. Someone saw it and they're like, you know, if you could do this, that could probably be something. Um, so I was like, okay, let me give it a shot. It took a really, the first one took a very long time to make and it wasn't that pretty. 
(laughs) (laughs) I spent some time sort of like refining the design, working with my chef friends, making another prototype, handing it to them, getting feedback and having this dialogue with that community. And then I finally got it sort of dialed in and I liked Mm -hmm. it. And I started selling them at the city market. Well, I was selling the chefs first and then also at the city market. And it was going well. And that was 2016. And we entered into a competition from a magazine called Garden and Gun. Mm -hmm. And every year they have a Made in the South award competition. And we entered the, the frying pans into that. We ultimately won the overall grand prize. Wow. And so that took me from sort of working with some local chefs and selling at the city market to now having like a national audience. Right. And that's Blunt Creatives was founded a few years before that, but that's really when the birth of Blunt Creatives as a handcrafted culinary tools company happened. Gotcha. Gotcha. So that sort of launched you forward essentially. Exactly. Yes. You know, I didn't go, I didn't, I wasn't seeking to become a cookware (laughs) maker, um, right? but that's what worked out. Awesome. So, so many questions are ready for you. So I'm just going to start at the beginning. So, um, where did you become interested in iron work? Um, so that I was kind of always around it. Okay. You know, my grandfather, my mother's father had, he, he built hot rods. He was a sort of a, a motorhead, and, and he also did repairs on big trucks. He just, he had a shop, you know, and gotcha. I spent a lot of my childhood, four or five, six, 10, 12, hanging out at his shop, watching him weld, mm-hmm. you know, or not watching, don't look at the sparks and right. you know, kind of <laughs> play on the floor with my little hot wheels and make racetracks. And I just spent a lot of time in a metal shop, like even to this day, the smell of burning metal just reminds me of my grandfather, you know, like giving him a hug. Yeah. Um, And so that was where I kind of got into it, but I didn't do anything with it until Mm -hmm. I was in my early twenties. So in high school, I was essentially like the art kid, just to paint, draw, I really thought I was going to be doing ceramics. That's what I really got in, in, into high school. That's what I thought I was going to do after then. Didn't work out, worked several different jobs. And then my uncle on my dad's side of the family, he also had, well, he, at that time he had a metal fabrication company. So I had metal work kind of on both sides of the family and he needed help for a summer. And I was like, yeah, let me give this a shot and went and helped him for a summer and that turned into four years. So wow. I guess kind of it's a little bit in my blood that in the culinary world. Got you. So was there a moment when you were in the culinary world where you remember, or where you remember thinking like, Oh, I could combine my ironworking side with creating culinary tools. Like, was there like a single moment or did it just kind of gradually happen? I guess really working in kitchens so we make carbon steel pans, mm-hmm. right? And those are very common in the restaurant world, okay. but they're typically very thin and very cheap. Okay. You know, um, you can stack a stack of them up on a back burner. They're all 
ready for you, getting hot, ready to go, but they'll be, you know, warped and there were courses, but they're not pretty. And so seeing that in restaurants being used, I was like, I think I could probably make something better than that. And that, and that's kind of what gave me the idea to try to make a, a skillet in the beginning. Gotcha. So how long did it take to create your first prototype? Oh, I don't know. That was so long ago, (laughs) (laughs) probably a long time. I was, let's say a week, you know, of just going back and forth. Yeah. Yeah. Figuring out what it's going to look like and how I'm going to do it. And it's also before I could really afford any good tools, Mm. you know, so it was done over a, a coal forge that I've made myself out of an old propane tank. Wow. You know, a rusted old anvil, <laughs> one hammer. Um, so the methodology of how they're produced now is completely different. It's <laughs> so much better. But right. at that stage, I'm sure it took me a long time. Gotcha. So, you know, I'm always fascinated by people who not only have an idea, but they actually move forward with it and try Mm -hmm. to do something with it. Because I, you know, I think a lot of great ideas sort of die in the, in the initial thought process. And then, you know, it seems too overwhelming. What do you think it is about yourself and people like you entrepreneurs, essentially that kind of take an idea, but then are then able to also run with it? You have to be too stubborn to give up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty much what I've always done. I just Mm -hmm. have an idea. I obsess about it and it doesn't go anywhere until I make it happen or I'm proven that I can't make it happen. Right. Um, It's, it's gotten me where I am, but it's also changed a lot of relationships in my life and kind of cause some hurdles and headaches just because I'm <laughs> so relentless and, and moving forward, you know, right. definitely believe in constant progression. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I think you hit on something there that seems to be a theme among some entrepreneurs where there's sort of this trade-off of intense focus in relation to having balance in your life. Yeah. It seems, yeah. yeah. Some entrepreneurs, like you said, you're just sort of relentless and some other things can fall by the wayside, but, um, yeah, now I try to have a little more balance. Mm. I'm married. I have a little girl, you know, I don't work as long as I used to, but, (laughs) you know, working all nighters working, you know, 16, 18 hour shifts and just like going in my workshop, sleeping in the workshop because then I'm too tired (laughs) to go home just to get back up and continue. Yes. Um, so it took a lot of that. Yes, absolutely. But I enjoyed it, all of it. Right. Yes, exactly. I know um, I was talking to another entrepreneur and he was opening a, a fitness gym and he slept like on pallets in the mm-hmm. front lobby <laughs> at one point, you know, those are the sacrifices you make for sure. One thing that um, kind of struck me when I was looking um, at your products online is they seem to me to be almost like heirloom pieces where, Mm -hmm. you know, somebody would buy them and then kind of pass them down. And I could see them being passed down through generations was, is that how you sort of view these as well? Oh yeah, totally. You know, then we all, everyone here has sort of their own motivation, but I think something that does span across 
you know, not just myself, but my crew mm -hmm. is the idea that what we're making should outlast us, you know, so you're sort of right. creating something bigger than yourself. And right. to me, that's always been a motivating factor because it is cool. You know, you really think about it. Like I love going to antique stores yeah. and seeing some antiques and you're just like, wow, what's the, the stories behind that piece, you know, and who made it? Where did it right. come from? It's a hundred years old at least. <laughs> and so try to think in the future, be kind of cool to see our pieces an antique store, you know, in a hundred years. There you go. Yes, absolutely. I know there is definitely something to be said in this world of mass consumerism, mm -hmm. you know, having a product that is actually built to last. Um, there's something definitely to be said for that. So yeah, all you... of our products offer, well, offer, we have a lifetime guarantee on all of our products. So gotcha. it's built into the core of what we make. Got it. So you talked about the award that you won with the magazine and um, as being a milestone. And then I imagine surrounding yourself with the team that you have was another milestone. So how did that sort of unfold? How did you go from being sort of a one man uh, shop to having a team behind you? Um, very organically. Okay. Just especially in the beginning. So at the time when I was still doing architectural work and just submitted the pans, you know, for the competition, it was me and one assistant. And then slowly, but it was, we were doing all commission work, the products that we were selling at the city market and, you know, metal, wood, we were doing some working with like some soapstone pieces at the time. So it was starting to just me and one other guy, 16 hour days, seven days a week, trying to keep up. Um, and then slowly people would stop by the shop and you start talking to them and they'd be interested in working out, you know, and helping you. So we kind of just grew organically in the beginning. I wasn't searching, but people mm -hmm. just kind of found me like the original crew. Right. Um, that was great. And that crew lasted for a few years, that initial, and then people kind of like went and did their own things or, you know, moved, things evolved. Only the last few years have been like searching for people. Mm -hmm. But I think majority of our best employees have kind of just, we found each other. Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. Sort of like a, a kismet type of type yeah. of deal. So um, how far are you shipping your products? I mean, where are your, where is like your customer base coming from? Is it all over the United States at this point? Who's, who are, who is buying all of your awesome goods besides people yeah, here in the Valley? We ship worldwide. Wow. Okay. Know? We ship a lot of pieces to Australia, okay. New Zealand. Surprisingly, I don't know how they find us, but we do <laughs> like pretty regularly ship to Australia and New Zealand. Um, yeah, across Europe, a lot to Canada. And I would say in the States, our biggest, um, base is really between New York, California, and Texas. That's okay. where we ship to in the States. Um, you know, we sell a lot around here, a lot of our like second scratch and dent pieces, we only sell in-house and we usually do an event once or twice a year. Um, 
So when we moved into the new location, we had a open house and it was great. Probably had like 200 people show up. Wow. We really were able to clear house. Like it was, <laughs> we didn't have any seconds or anything left at the end of the day there, but yeah, we ship all over the world. Nice. So you mentioned your new location. Why was Waynesboro an appealing place to open up your shop? There's still growth potential here. Mm-hmm. You know, so I live in Batesville, which is Afton. So working in Charlottesville, it's 25 minutes to get to work. I live on the mountain. So it's 25 minutes to get to Waynesboro too. And being in Charlottesville for 10, 12 plus years up lived there and working there and having my own shop in one location for the past 10 years, we outgrew the spot mm-hmm. and Charlottesville doesn't have spaces to grow into. You know, there's no warehouse and it never really happened in an industrial past, but Waynesboro has that, you know, there's a lot here. Every time I would come over here, because when I at home, it's so much easier for me to get here to go to you know, Lowe's or Home Depot or something. Right. So just driving through Waynesboro more and more, and you just see the old buildings and just this industrial past. Yeah. You know, those are things I love, you know, like just old industry. Right. Um, just like, man, it'd be so cool to have one of those warehouses. Yeah. And, you know, so I'm here. I had this building under contract right before COVID hit mm. and then financing fell through last minute. And so it kind of was like, ah, slipped through my fingers. And that was an end of 2019 going into 2020. We had a good year in 2020. And I was like, let me see if it's still available. And that was early 2021. Um, and it was, and I was like, cool. Let me just let's swoop <laughs> down. And I got it. I already knew yes. this place. I had dreams of it, you know, at night, <laughs> like seeing the shop in here. And right. uh, so, yeah, we so I bought it in February last year. We moved in, in September and full full on shop moved in, in September. So we've wow. got like five or six months close to it. Of nice. Truly being here. Nice. I think you hit on something that's also important for entrepreneurs, which is like, being able to roll with the punches, like when something falls through, you know, being able to keep being resilient and, you know, keep at it, keep working towards it. Oh yeah. So, so you mentioned COVID. Um, how did COVID um, beyond things with the building, how did that impact your business? And what was it like to be a, a leader essentially of a team during such a, such a time as, as the pandemic? Yeah. So I think when all of that first happened, it's just like uncharted territory, Mm. you know? Yeah. So what can you do really just have to have a conversation with the crew? Like, Mm -hmm. how do you guys feel? Do you feel safe? Do you not feel safe? Cause I, I know really when it first hit, cause you know, you, you heard about it on the news for a little bit before, it was, you know, in China and then it was in Europe. And then you hear like, oh, there was some in uh, like Oregon and then New York. And then when you start hearing like local cases, um, I forget if it were, it's like a long weekend, something, but we we're coming back to work. And the, the conversation was going to be, how do you guys feel? 
And I get to the shop and everyone's out in the parking lot and they're like 10 feet apart from each other. So I'm like, okay, like (laughs) this shows how everyone feels right now. It's, it was, you know, it's unsettling. What's, what's the future going to hold? Like none of us ever had ever been majority of the world and never been in a position like that before. So, you know, there's no game book. Mm -hmm. Like, what do I do in this situation? Uh, So it was just really conversations and people who, you know, like, and what happened eventually, you know, I had 14 full-time people going into it. The crew is a 14 man team by March, April, we were down to me and two others. Wow. Yeah. And then our demand went through the roof. Yes. I was going to ask about that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Because everyone was at home. They were cooking more than they ever have before. You know, restaurants were closed. (laughs) They weren't spending their money on vacations, you know, so, you know, a lot of people decided to renovate their houses or you know, all these home projects and right. develop a new hobby. So the demand for the products just went through the roof. Yeah. Like, well, how are we going <laughs> to do this? You know, we had a full-time crew. Now it's just like three of us. Um, but we had built up some inventory a little before that. So we had that inventory and then we just kind of bootstrapped it all over again you know, and, and work through it and constantly being thrown curveballs. It felt like, but, you know, having to be reactive as possible and and nimble and, and it actually weren't up, wound up being one of the most profitable years we've ever had. Wow. Um, And that actually helped with purchasing this building and giving us a space to grow into. So, you know, trying to take a bad situation that you really don't know how to deal with and making the best out of it. Um, And I think we did a pretty good job. Yeah. And I, right. Absolutely. I think anybody that has managed um, to stay in business during this time, or even if you had to pivot and do something completely new, like there is sort of this pride essentially in knowing that you you know, did what you had to do to get through this really, really challenging time for sure. So, um, how do people find out more about your products? Where should we send them to? Um, the website. Okay. And what I always say is to sign up for our newsletters. Okay. Because most of our new product releases or, uh, restocks, that all goes out to the news, uh, the newsletter signups first, and then social media. So that's Blanc Creatives on Facebook and on Instagram. Okay. And then, and then what? Yeah. I don't know. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> what is the website address for everybody? Uh, BlancCreatives.com. Okay. So it's B L A N C C R E A T I V E S dot com. Dot com. So Perfect. Two C's and it's plural. Blanc Creatives. <laughs> Got it. Now, can people actually come into your, um, your business there as well? Yeah, totally. So we have it as appointment only. Okay. Um, we just prefer, you know, we don't mind the occasional walk-in, 
but we prefer if you reach out to us first and just say, Hey, I'd like to come check out what you guys are doing. Uh, just because we're not always in the office right. or in the showroom area. A lot of, even the majority of the admin staff is also production staff. Yes. <laughs> you know, so we're multiple hats. Right. Um, so yeah, totally. We love having people stop by. We just ask, give us a heads up first. Yes. Okay. Perfect. So if you're wanting to stop by, make sure to make that appointment, go check out the website, go check out the social media. One more question for you. Where do the materials that you use for these really gorgeous products, where do they come from? So it's all American made or American harvested wood. And so our steel supplies either come from Richmond or, um, Philadelphia and all of our wood, it's either wood that I've milled up myself or I know people who have milled it up or that we're getting from a local, uh, a local mill. So everything is as local as possible on that front. Great. So yeah. So all the, all the folks locally can feel really good about buying those, knowing they're supporting, Mm -hmm the local economy as well. So that's awesome. Well, Corey, it's been great talking with you today. I've really, really enjoyed it. Um, Everybody go check out their beautiful, beautiful products. I feel like they would look and be so useful in any kitchen, but especially also as gifts for people. Um, I'm putting your website on my, my Christmas idea list (laughs) for sure. So thank you so much. And for everybody listening, thank you for joining us. You can learn more about Waynesboro and Waynesboro entrepreneurs by visiting waynesborobusiness.com. You can also check out the blog post about Corey at growwaynesboro.com and check out the podcast on Spotify and also the visit Waynesboro YouTube channel. We'll be back with more episodes, make sure you tune in. Thank you so much.